Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Clayton, would you do me a favor? Could you come here for a second? Yeah, I know it's a little scary, but you're okay. Come on up here. All right. This, guys, turn around and look. So look in, look in the camera, because maybe your dad and your mom will watch this in a little bit, okay? This is Clayton. This is my nephew, and his heart is beating out of his chest right now. Clayton, I love you so much. You're such an awesome kid. I want to share a story about Clayton. Can I, can I share a quick story about you? Okay, so this week we hung out with Clayton and his family over in Mississippi, and Clayton came back with us to spend the week with grandparents, didn't you? Right. And so he's over here, and, uh, and he's hanging out with us. But when we were over in Mississippi the other day, all the adults were going out to, to dinner, and you were at home with your brother and your sister, right? And you had to have, what did you have to have for dinner? Do you remember? You don't remember? All right. I remember because I tried to help you out. Remember your mom had something she was going to give you, and I told her to do something that might make it better? What was it? It was mac and cheese. Yeah, okay. All right. You can go sit down, buddy. So, so Clayton was like, okay, I guess I'll have the mac and cheese, but they're leftovers. <laughs> right? And he's like, macaroni and cheese leftovers is dry. <laughs> he said it's so dry. And I said, well, take a piece of Velveeta cheese and put it on the top and then remelt it and stir it in. And so he's up there and he's excited about now because this dry, how many of you like dried leftover mac and cheese? Like it is not good leftover in my view, right? I'm with you, Clayton. So Clayton's like, I don't like it, but I guess that's what I'll eat. So we tried this trick and he gets up there all excited about eating this mac and cheese that has been revitalized with a a piece of Velveeta melted on top. And he takes a couple of bites and he's like, it's dry right? Kids don't like leftovers, and we can do whatever we want to try to do to to liven it up or spice it up or make it better, but it's just not the same, is it? Leftovers. It's just not the same. And as a kid, we grew up with three boys, so there were seldom leftovers because we would eat the whole thing. But if by chance there was on those evenings that dad cooked and there were leftovers, (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, had to, I had to bust your chops on that, pal. So anyway, when, it, when, when there were leftovers, that's like the kid's worst nightmare. You're like, ah, oh, leftovers. Nobody likes the unused. Nobody likes the second thought. Nobody likes the leftovers of your time, of your food, of your energy, of your effort. But we live in a, in a country, in a culture that is all about more, more, more. More time involved in this, more extracurricular activities, more energy and effort poured into everything else. And what ends up happening is we have scraps, we have leftovers. And we give those leftovers sometimes to the people who are most meaningful to us. And sometimes we give those leftovers, no, let me, let me rephrase that. Oftentimes, I give the leftovers to God. 
But when God gives leftovers, it's different. We're going to look at a passage today that is from Luke 9, and we're going to continue this series as we look at the teaching of Jesus, on, particularly on this idea of prayer. And he not only taught it, but he modeled it. And so really over the next three weeks, we're going to kind of settle into Luke 9 because it's full of meaning and stories, pericopes as we call them, these little sections of scriptures that really focus in on how Jesus incorporated prayer in his ministry and in his life. We looked at chapters 5 and 6 last week, and now we're going to look at chapter 9 this week. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 9. If not, you can follow on the screen, or if you've got a smart device, you can open up uh, to, to Luke 9. We're going to be starting with verse 10 and going through 17. And it's this, this part of Scripture that is very familiar if you've read Scripture much or if you've been in church or, or if it's just something that maybe you've heard and you didn't realize it came from this story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, as we hop into this story, understand that there's already a flow of ministry going on. Jesus has most recently sent out the 12 disciples, and he sent them out to do ministry. And he gave them instructions, and he told them that as you go, don't worry about it. Don't take money. Don't take extra clothes and change of clothes and all that extra sandals. You just go and let God's going to provide for you, and you go and you do the ministry that you've seen me do. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In our culture, most people have to go through months and years of training before they're released to do ministry, right? I mean, I had to go through an undergrad program, then a master's program, and then I chose to do a doctorate program. So I had all of this post, um, uh, you know, this post-grad work that I did uh, just so that I could come and be a minister. And there was a lot of effort and energy put into it. In, in Jesus' ministry, it wasn't like that. He modeled ministry, and then he said, okay, what you see me do, you go do now. See you guys, y'all have fun. Right? I, by the way, just as an aside, think that that's a much more fruitful and much more beautiful picture of what ministry is that each one of you you might not get it right all the time just kind of stumbles your way that god releases you and says go and serve wherever you go go and serve i'm going to provide for you i'm going to give you the words to say i'm going to show you what to do if you just listen to me and you just follow me just i'm releasing you and so that's what he's done and the apostles go and they do their thing, and we're not even told what they do. We're not even told where they do it necessarily. They just go. And then they come back, and we pick up the story here. On their return, the apostles told him, him being Jesus, all that they had done. Well, what is that? Are any of y'all interested in what that, like, I would like to know, okay, what's your blueprint here, apostles? What'd you do? I want to I figure this out. I want to be more effective. How did you do it? But that's not what Luke gives us. But they came back and they gathered with Jesus and they told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town or toward a town called Bethesda or Bethsaida. There's different pronunciations. Now, what's interesting about this is this word withdraw. Where have you seen it before? Not, not rhetorical. Answer this. Where, where have you seen this word withdraw before? When Jesus goes and prays, and we saw it in verse, I mean, in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, that Jesus has this model of ministry 
and withdrawing. And in the withdrawing, he gets, we talked about it last week, both re-energized and gets direction. So this withdrawing is his part of his, of the flow of his ministry. It's a part of his personal relationship with God. He creates intentional space to be alone before God. And remember last week, he did it how long? Do you remember? Bueller, huh? All night. All night. He spent wrestling with God over what he was going to do next. So Jesus builds into the pattern of his life a withdrawal to take time apart, to to decompress, to rest, but to do it in a spiritual way, and then to gather power, and then to gather instruction from the Father so that he can go back out and do it again. It's a pattern of go and do and come back and rest. Go and do and come back and rest. Go in ministry and come back and get recharged, refueled, redirected. And so he continues this pattern, but now he's inviting the disciples into it. You see this? They go out, they perform these tasks. We don't know what they were, but they've been gone and they do this. And on return, they come back and they go to decompress and to, it's action reflection. It's, this is how I experienced it. And by the way, let me say this. This is a pattern that you can build into your daily life. Action, ministering in your daily life, and then as you get home, or as you create space in your life, you reflect on it. So I'm, I don't know this, Dr. Barber, but I'm sure, Matt, that what you do is you take notes when you see a patient, and at some point during the day, you're going to go back and you're going to kind of recap your day. You're going to go back and look at what you did. You're going to look at each case. You're going to dive a little bit deeper. I mean, I, I'm assuming that kind of goes on at some, at some pattern in, in, your, in your practice, right? And we all do this. Peter, when y'all go and you install a new HVAC system, there is a checklist of follow-up, right? There is a checklist of, okay, this is what we did, and you reflect on it. How can we do this better and all that? We build this into our daily lives anyway. But are we doing it spiritually? Are we saying, okay, God, I'm going to step back from the day and go, okay, where, where, where was I in ministry today, and did I do it well? Where did I have an opportunity to impact a life, and did I take the opportunity, or did I miss it? And then what can I learn from it? Either way, right? So this action and reflection is built into Jesus' pattern of ministry, and I think it's what we ought to be doing. And so they would draw apart toward a town. Now, they're not there yet. The way this translation sounds, it sounds like they're there. But they're not quite there yet, and we know that because of what happens next. When the crowds learned it, it being that Jesus had withdrawn, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus has had this time with his disciples and he's about to withdraw to go and do some more reflection and praying with them. And all of a sudden the crowd shows up. Now there are other places where the crowd shows up and what does Jesus do? He says, I'm sorry, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to the next town. And the crowd's just kind of left there. But not this time. This time he looks at them, and he has compassion on them, and he welcomes them. And then look what he does. He speaks to them of the kingdom of God, and he cures those of, who are in need of healing. So he, he teaches them about the power of God. He teaches them about, about the rule of God, the, this 
this kingship of God and how in his life he has shown up and he's bringing the kingdom of God, right? We don't have time to unpack all that, but if you've been here at the Grove, you know we talk about the kingdom of God and what that really means often. And so he's unpacking all that for this crowd. He's unpacking what the kingdom of God means. It's not heaven. It's the power of God and the rule of God wherever God's power and rule are. And so he's explaining that to him, and then he cures those who need healing. So it's been a long day. Now the day began to wear away. By the way, Luke is, is very is great with language, and, and it's even more beautiful in the original language. But now the day began to wear away. And with that, in English translation, you get the, you, you, you get the feeling that it's just kind of a long, weary day, right? It's, the day is just slowly inching away, and, and there's so much that's going on. And the twelve came to him and said... Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and, and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So they're not at the town of Bethsaida yet, right? They're not there yet. They're somewhere in the wilderness. And all these people have gathered, and Jesus teaches them, and he heals them, and then he's, they say, look, God, it's, I mean, look, God, look, Jesus, it's getting late. Uh, we don't have any food. There's no lodging around here. Why don't you send the people away and maybe we can pick this up another time. But he, being Jesus, said to them, verse 13, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. And with saying that, the disciples fell. Now, that might be too heavy of a word, but it really is a failure. It's a failure to understand what Jesus has already been teaching them. It's a failure to understand and comprehend what's going on in this place. So let's unpack this for a minute. What had Jesus just told them to do, and what had they gone and done? Ministry, right? And what did he tell them about provision? Not rhetorical, answer that. What did he tell them about provision? Don't take any, but what? Rely on God, right? So they have just learned this lesson. They have just been taught this. Don't worry about it. God's going to provide. So that's one thing. They've, they've experienced it, and now they just kind of totally forgot it. Now, understand, this is a huge crowd. We are told later, not yet, but there's 5,000 people. And that can, can be overwhelming. But let's also remember the context of where they are. Where are they right now? Like physically, geographically, what's it say about this place? Desolate. It's the wilderness. There's nothing out there. Does this give a hint at any other stories in the Bible about wilderness and lack of food? What story does it remind you of? Huh? Alright, the temptation of Christ is one. He's without food in the desert. What else? The Exodus, where the people are, are out in the middle of the wilderness and they have no food. What about Elisha and Elijah? Both of them prophets. Both of them provide food in one miraculous way or another. There are tons of hints towards this. Now, I understand that as, as a disciple in the moment, you're not thinking about, 
Oh, yes, remember how God helped Moses and the Israelites across the desert? He's going to show up here now, isn't he, Jesus? I don't think anyone was thinking that way. And I understand that. I would have been right there with the disciples. Look, dude, this is getting out of control. We need to send people away. Now, the other part of this, too, is that I think of, because from the perspective of, of ministry, is they're probably worn out. I mean, these guys had gone and done ministry. They were about to get a break. So imagine going on vacation, and as you're pulling out of your driveway, scratch. Sorry, you got to go back to work, guys. That's kind of what happens here. So they've had ministry after ministry, overwhelmed, and now 5,000 people. I get it. But like the disciples, how often do we fail to see the truth right before us? How often do we miss the miracle that God wants to do in ministry right before us if we just have eyes to see, if we just look at what he's trying to do, if we just are in tune to his spirit and allow him to flow through us? Guys, we walk by the 5,000 every single day of our lives, every day. Every day we have the opportunity to see and experience the work of God in some way, in someone's life, through us. And like the disciples, we're like, oh, we're good. <laughs> we're just going to walk right by the 5,000. Y'all have fun finding food and lodging. We'll see you sometime later. Peace. And that's kind of how we treat life. Or I, again, I'll own it. That's how I do it. I'm done with ministry for the day. I'm taking that hat off. I'm just going to go home and chill now. When I'm at the grocery store, I'm not Pastor Todd. I'm Husband Todd. <laughs> right? Or in some cases, Dad Todd. I refrain from saying Father Todd because that just sounds weird. So <laughs> there's implications there that I wanted to avoid. But you see my point, right? How often do we put on a different hat and we miss the fact that there's 5,000 to feed, that there is something right in front of us? God has laid right before us. Here's this perfect opportunity. Beverly and I, you, you and I have talked about this, how you, and, and, and I love some of the stories you've shared, how you're just like, I knew God wanted to pray for that person, so I just stopped right there in the middle of the store and prayed for him. That's what it looks like, right? And so I get why they, why they missed it. I really do. It was overwhelming. They were tired. They, they were done for the day. They were wanting to send people home, and they missed it. But they said, look, how are we going to do this? We only have five loaves and two fish, so let's get on with this, Jesus. And then it says, verse 14, this is where we find out how many. For there were 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so... And have them all sit down. So it's like, okay, Jesus, we don't know what to do. And he's like, all right, look, just have them sit down. I'm about to show you how this is going to work. You missed it. You missed your opportunity. You failed the little test. But now I'm going to show you how this is going to go. Just do what I tell you to do. And immediately they kick into the act of serving, right? And they go and they sit people down in 50, in groups of 50. And he does exactly what they, they, uh, they do exactly what he tells them to do. And they did so, and they had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now, there's two allusions here to prayer. 
The first one is looking up to heaven. That was an act in Jesus' day of prayer. Now, it was also an act in earlier scenes, way earlier, of idolatry. Taking your eyes off of Jesus and fixing them, I mean, off of God and fixing it on something else. But looking up at this point was an allusion to prayer. And specifically, he's looking up to heaven. And so he's looking up to that place, that power of God. Think of heaven as being the, the, the seat of the power of God. So he's looking to the power of the Father. That's what this phrase means when he looks up to heaven. So he's enacting this prayer and he's saying, I need you. Which is a reminder that Jesus had given up all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. I mean, he had just given that up. He said, okay, I'm setting my power and authority aside. So Jesus performs this miracle not out of his Jesus power, but out of the power of prayer. And that's significant. He doesn't perform this miracle because he's Jesus. He performs this miracle by the power of prayer. Do you understand that? This is a very significant point. And so he looks up to heaven at the seat of power of God, where the power of God comes from, and then he says a blessing over them. Now, over them is what? The people? No. It's the bread and the fish. And this is, we see then, an allusion clearly to Moses, the bread and the meat that he provided in the wilderness. And in this scene now, we see that the longing of Jesus, the longing of Jesus is to take us and to take the 5,000 from slavery into the promised land. And I'm going to provide everything you need to get there. Do you see the symbolism in this story? How deeply rooted it is in Moses? Jesus is saying, I'm the new Moses. I'm taking the slaves, those who are poor and broken and, and, and lost everything. I'm taking those of you who are, who, who are enslaved and I'm setting you free. I'm your new Moses. And so he takes the bread and the meat and he blesses them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And this is an interesting word, the set before. It's like table service. Now some of you guys probably haven't experienced that in a long time with the restaurants being closed. But it's, it's where they come and they, it's nicely plated and they set it down before you, right? And you get this idea that the, that the 12 disciples become these, these servants. These service industry servants that they're serving the people. And they do it with a sense of, of almost of pride and overwhelming. They, they're blown away by what's happening because as they're going to serve, there's more and more. There's more and more. Every basket is full. Every time they turn and set down another plate, it's full. And so we see that through the prayer of Jesus, that the power of God, he looked up to heaven where the power is seated. He asked it to come down, and as he blesses it, the miracle happens. And we see this in his healing, too. He looks to the Father, and it's through the Father that the healing comes. But Jesus prays, and the miracle happens happens
And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of leftovers, broken pieces. Can you wrap your mind around that? 5,000 people, five loaves and two fish. When, when Bennett was a teenager, he would come in and he'd open up the refrigerator. And you guys probably had this happen all the time. <laughs> he would open up the refrigerator and look in and God, we don't have anything. I'm like, figure it out. You get, there's enough in there to, to figure it out. That hungry, figure it out. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Yeah, it's only five loaves and two fish, but in the hands of God, something amazing can happen. When we pray and we unleash the power of God, something amazing happens. And guys, let's not lose sight of where this is. Let's not lose sight of the physical setting here because I think this brings home the power of this passage. It is in between day and night. It's in that time where it's neither one or the other. It's in limbo. And the outcome isn't sure yet. Doesn't that kind of feel like where we are in our culture? They are not in the city. They are traveling from one place to the other, and they're out in the wilderness. Where what happened, you said earlier, Christian? The temptation. But what else happens in the wilderness over and over again with Jesus? Not only is the temptation there, but that's where the prayer and the power of God is. So it's in this limbo. It's between the day and the night. It's between this place and that. It's in the wilderness. It's in the brokenness. It's in, the, it's in those places that aren't fun that God shows up and he does his good work. If we just look for it and allow it. Guys, these times are tough. But maybe, just maybe, it's the opening Maybe, just maybe, it's our opportunity to allow God's power to flow through us to impact the world. Maybe, instead of complaining and writing about issues on social media and reposting things that we have no business reposting and buying into all the junk that's out there, maybe, just maybe, we ought to be all about unleashing the power of God instead of our political positions. Maybe this is the opportunity, the grand stage, when things feel desolate and broken, that Jesus says, I got this. I have heard over and over and over again people lament where we are as a country, and it does hurt. But Jesus shows up in the hurt. Jesus shows up in the brokenness. You know what else is interesting about this setting? We're not told anything about the 5,000. And in their culture, there were strict table rules and laws. You don't eat, if you're a clean, practicing Jewish person, you don't eat with an unclean Jewish person. Are you telling me 
that in those groups of 50 there weren't people from different backgrounds, different dialects, different places in their spiritual journey, some who hated God, some who loved him, some who were on fire for who Jesus was and really wanted to learn more about him, and some who were there to probably go, look at this guy, he's a charlatan and he's evil. There are all sorts of people that are in this crowd, and he doesn't care. He shows up and he says, I don't care if you disagree with one another, I love all of you, and I provide for all of you. And so, guys, this is our chance. This is our desolate place. This is between our day and our night. This is our opportunity to pray down the power of God and to impact our world if we just have eyes and faith. When I was about 16 years old, something I started liking leftovers. You know why? Because I was like Bennett going to the refrigerator. Mom, we don't have anything. And Dad would always hide the little Debbie somewhere so we couldn't find them. He always hid the stash somewhere. And we would look and look and look. Couldn't find the snack. Dad, we're, hey, we don't have anything in here. And I learned real quick that if I was going to get anything in my belly, then, it, then whatever was in the refrigerator, I was going to put in there. And I learned that I could order a large, thin crust, pepperoni with mushroom, Pizza Hut pizza, and it was beautiful the next morning as breakfast. Cold pizza. Loved it. I became a huge fan of leftovers. Chicken, fried chicken that my mom would get or make, Oh my gosh, the next morning or the next day at lunch, I'm like, I don't even care about eating that stuff up. Give me that leg. I'm going to gnaw on it. Love me some leftovers. Then I had kids. And we're like, we don't have to cook tonight, Laura, actually. I don't have to cook tonight? We've got leftovers. And then that went away when the kids got a little bit older, right? Y'all are right in the middle of this. There's never leftovers in your house. I, I feel pretty confident, right? So between Matt and the kids, I'm sure there's nothing ever there, right? But our kids went away. Oh, glory. Let me just say, Laura and I are like, we've got three meals here. What, what is this sorcery? We are huge fans of leftovers. Why? Because it's enough. It's provision. And what the world needs from us is not our leftover time and thoughts, not our leftover subpar performance and engagement. What it needs is the leftovers of our bounty and our plenty. It needs the best of us. And God wants to unleash his plenty on the world. He wants to unleash his love, his grace, his peace, his power. And there's more of that than we could ever imagine. So much so that there's leftovers. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you. But I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it. Put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.